Morning, church. Thank you guys so much for coming and worshiping with us this morning. We are so glad to have you here. Uh, I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody that helped with Bible school. Uh, with volunteers and kids, we had close to 200 every night come through our doors. So that uh, was, was an amazing week. Uh, there was one day I went to the grocery store and I had, uh, we just got down to the Bible school and I had my shirt on. I ran into somebody that I haven't seen for a while and got to talk and they're like, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but you look really tired. And I was like, and then they saw my Bible school shirt. They're like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Right. So, but it was worth every ache, every pain, every Tylenol we had to take. It was worth everything. So uh, we were so blessed to see uh, God do some amazing thing things in those kids' life. So we're going to continue on to a series that we have been in for two weeks. It is called Soul Care. And the first two weeks have been a little, a little deep, uh, uh, you know, a little hard to get through. Uh, the first one is about anxiety, depression, and mental health. Uh, that's something that's just really hard to talk about. Uh, it truly is. And then last week we talked about death and grief, which is even harder to talk about. And it's because when we talk about those topics, those are things that honestly, they really, they really hurt our soul. Like they, they, they really do some damage in our, our soul when stuff like that happens. And so that's why we are trying to talk through uh, uh, those topics, especially the grief. And my prayer this entire week was anybody that that message resonated with, I, I prayed that maybe you could start the healing process because of last week. And, you know, maybe maybe it's new. It's fresh. Maybe you just lost somebody or maybe it's been a couple years and something just came up. So my prayer was this week. Uh, I pray that uh, uh, you guys had just uh, a, a, a you started to heal this week. So we're going to change gears a little bit. And the first two weeks we talked about things that could hurt your soul. And now we're going to talk about a couple things that can help your soul, that can breathe life back into it, or maybe um, just, just get you over that hump. Like I said, we're on, we're on the up, upward climb uh, from the last two weeks. But today we're going to talk about confession. And I don't mean, you know, come up to me and spill your guts and tell me everything that's ever happened in your life or every bad thing you've done. I'm, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the confession that you need to make as a believer to God, right? And, and to confess the things in your life that maybe you made a bad decision about or maybe uh, something that you've done that you shouldn't have done. Stuff like that. Because let's see if you guys can, can finish this old adage. Confession is good for the... Soul, exactly. And so that's why we're going to touch on it and dive really deep into it today. That confession is truly good for your soul. It really is. And because if you think about the last time, and it might be fresh, it might have happened this morning or yesterday. The last time that you did something that you wasn't supposed to, how long are you going to carry that burden? How long are you going to carry that, that thing that you're holding on to so tightly? How long are you going to carry it before you give it up to God? Well, the reason why confession is good for your soul, because once you confess that, it's like a chain is just broke and a burden is lifted off of you. And that's what we want to get to this week in our confession uh, topic that we're going to touch on today. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to start in 2 Samuel. And we're going to talk uh, about somebody in the Bible I think a lot of you know about, but we're going to dig a little bit deeper. So it starts with this. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof of a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. 
And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter, daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So a lot of people, when they hear this story about David and Bathsheba, they all have the same question. Is this the same David that slayed the giant? Yes, it is. Is this the same David that, that killed a ti or tiger, killed a lion and a bear to protect his father's flock? Yes, it is. Is this the same David that was probably one of the best kings of Israel? Yes, it is. But David is just like me and you, and David had a lapse of judgment. He did something that he did that he knew he shouldn't have done. I think we all can relate to that. And so David had a moment where he was, and you have to understand, this was not post-Goliath David. This was not in his teens. This was David when he was down the road. He was a little aged. He, he, he was a little bit more experienced. And he was, he was a good king. He was a good king that people loved. But he made a bad decision. And he made a decision that honestly, he struggled with. And I think we all can relate to that. We have decisions that we make that we know we shouldn't make them, but we still do it, right? We know that we, we shouldn't make this mistake, but we still do it. And so before we get going, here's what happened to David. This is why David fell into the temptation that he fell into. Number one is because he was in a place that he should not have been in, right? David was a king. It was the winter. He should, or it, the winter was over. The ground was thawed. He should be out fighting. But instead, no, he, he was where he shouldn't be. How many of us can relate to that in our teens, right? You're not supposed to be where you're supposed to be. And you're afraid if your mom and dad found out that you're in that place, right? That was David. David was in a place that he should not have been in. We can relate to that. We've all been in places we shouldn't been, right? Same with David. Number two is what happened to David he was doing what he should not be doing. David was a leader. David should have been out leading instead of taking a nap. And a lot of you is like, how do you know he's taking a nap? He got up from a couch. A couch is a prime place to take a nap, right? And so that David got up from his nap instead of leading his troops in battle. He was where he wasn't supposed to be. He was doing what he shouldn't be doing. Those are two things when you put them together. It is a recipe for disaster. Things are going to happen when you're not where you're supposed to be and you're doing what you're not supposed to do. Right? When I was growing up, my mom worked at the school that I went to. I could not get away with anything. Nothing. Like, I would be walking in the hall. My mom would stop me. She's like, you're not going and don't ask why. What? How do you even know? I didn't even get invited yet. Like, she, she knew before I knew and then like 20 minutes later, somebody would ask me to go somewhere and do something I wasn't supposed to. I was like, it sounds weird, but my mom already told me no. <laughs> so, but, but that's what it is. If you are where you're not supposed to be doing what you're not supposed to do, bad things are going to happen. You can't argue that. Bad things are going to happen. And the third one is David was where he was not supposed to be, doing what he was not supposed to do. And he let his eyes linger a little too long at what he wasn't supposed to be looking at. Church, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one because we live in a day and age that lust is not just accepted 
It's almost encouraged. Come on now. You, you know I'm right. It's not that lust is just accepted. It's encouraged. It's everywhere. Right? And, and so David fell into that trap that he was looking where he shouldn't have been looking, but he just didn't glimpse and like take a glimpse. I mean, he, he focused in and he looked way too long from where he should be looking. Church, why in the world do we not reverse this? Why don't we spend our time where we're supposed to be, spend it doing what we're supposed to be doing and looking and seeing of what we're supposed to see? Things would be vastly different. In our world today, in our church today, if we would just reverse that. If we do what we're supposed to do, if we are where we're supposed to be, but most importantly, if we're looking at where we're supposed to look. And that's exactly where God comes into the story. God wants you to look solely on Him. And when you look at Him, things are going to change. But David made a mistake. He made a decision that, honestly, he fell into a trap. Right? Fellas, we can relate. The, 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 the trap of, of lust and, and visualization is something that men fall into all the time. But we can beat it. I know we can. Right? Because we have to. Our legacy is at stake. Our family is at stake. We have to beat it. So David fell into those three things. But the things that really stuck out to me the most about the story about David is this. He knew better. He knew better. He knew that this was not supposed to be where he's supposed to be. He knew better. And uh, Psalms 119.11 says this. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart. I may not sin against you. And then it continues on and it says, blessed in the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked. Anybody know who says that? Who said that in scripture? David. David wrote that you are not supposed to walk with the wicked. He knew better. He knew better. He knew that what he was doing was wrong. He wrote that, and he also uh, wrote so many psalms that we look at to for encouragement of how to defeat sin, and then he walks into this one. The second part that really, really I struggle with, he was warned. He was warned about what was happening, because when he asked about Bathsheba, when he walked out onto to the balcony, like he was on the cover of a romance novel, you know, his hair just blowing in the wind, he asked... You know, what's her, what's her status? What, what's her status on Facebook? Like, what, you know, where's she at? Like, is she available? And the guy came back, the, the messenger came back and said, oh, no, she's not available. She's married. And she's married to Uriah. You know who that is. So David was not just, he knew better, but he was also warned. They told him that this was wrong. He knew it was wrong. But church, we can all relate to something as this. Sin is deceitful. Sin is dishonest. And most importantly, sin is destructive. Sin is all three of these things because that is what is tearing us down today. It's because we think that sin is honest. We think when we look at something and we, we see it, we're like, well, that, that sin looks honest. Have you guys ever thought of this? Well, that looks innocent enough. It's not. Sin is deceitful. Sin is, is something that wants to trick you and to trip you up on your daily walk with God. Sin is deceitful. It's also very dishonest. There's nothing true about sin except for it exists. And it's powerful. And most importantly, sin is destructive. When you make a bad decision, when you sin, sometimes you can hurt other people. 
Sometimes you can, most of the times you hurt your own testimony, you hurt your own life. Sin is dishonest. Now, I had someone tell me a long time ago, well, as long as you don't get caught. Right? That's, <laughs> as much as I've used that in my teenage years, it's still not true. Because if you sin, it is destructive. Bad things happen. I truly believe that our generation today has been taught that there is no consequence to sin anymore. Church, that's not true. But our kids believe it because social media tells them that. All these different platforms tell them you do what makes you feel good. You say what you want, whatever you want to say, and there's no consequences. That is not true. Sin is destructive, dishonest, and there is consequences. And so when we, we look at the story of David... David thought he got away with it. David, David thought he got away with it, right? He, he, he thought he was in the clear, and then the messenger came and said, hey, Bathsheba's pregnant. And so David, at that moment, he had to make a decision. David should have done what? He should have confessed. He's been like, okay, I need to confess. But he does what we all do when we get caught. We try to get our way out of it, and we usually make it what? Worse. That's what David did. David could have easily confessed that this happened, but instead he had the bright idea, I'm going to get my way out of it. I'm going to get my way out of the sin so I'm not, I'm not um, responsible for it. So David came up with a plan, and after he made, came up with a plan, he made up a story. And after he made up a story, he did something that hurts somebody other than him, and he was okay with it. So when we look at the plans that David did, number one is the plan A, he was going to bring Uriah from the battlefield and be like, hey, you look really tired. Why don't you go home and get some R&R and visit with that pretty wife you got, right? He tried to take him off the battlefield and send him home and be like, man, you, you deserve some alone time, right? And he tried to trick Uriah by tempting him with his own wife. And it wasn't because he was sincere. It wasn't because he, he, he really cared for Uriah and his well-being. That's not it at all. He was trying to trick him. But this right here tells how good of a man Uriah was. Uriah says this. He says, I can't do that. I can't go back to my house when my soldiers and my, my, the, the people I'm fighting alongside are out here sleeping on the ground. I can't do it. And then in 2 Samuel 11, 11, it says this. It says, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. So he tells them, as tempting as that sounds, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to sleep on the ground because that is the commitment I made to the people around me. Church, that is the exact same thing that we need to do when we have a commitment with Jesus Christ. If you stick to your commitment, as, as, as enticing as that sin is, if you stick to your commitment, good things are going to happen, church. It's when we leave that commitment like David did, because David knew who God was. He didn't just know who God was. He was a vessel of, uh, of the Lord. He, he did everything so the people saw the Lord in him. He was committed, and then as soon as he wasn't committed, 
he made a mistake. So Uriah, that's how honorable of a man he was. He's like, I could easily go home and do what you're telling me, but I'm not because I'm in a commitment. I committed and I'm going to stay here and I'm going to honor my commitment I made. And then so David got a little bit more desperate. Church, do you ever feel that way when we try to lie about a lie? Each lie gets a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more elaborate, you know. And so that's what David did. David tried to get him to go home. He wouldn't do it. So David tried to get Uriah drunk and then have him stumble into his house and, and, and spend time with his wife. And again, Uriah's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not, do, not going to do that. So at this point, David got desperate. This is when David's sin, this is when David's decision really pushed him into the realm of doing something destructive. Church, that's what happens when we commit a small sin. When we try to cover up that sin, it catapults us into a more destructive sin, a more destructive sin after that. So David, David wrote a letter. We're going to read that letter. It says this. It says, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were a valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. So David wrote this letter and it sent him out to the front line. It didn't just send him to the front of the battle. They said once you get to the front and Uriah gets to the front, retreat. So David didn't just lie about sending him to the front of the battlefield. Church, he abandoned him. Sin will abandon you and it will abandon people around you. But the hope we have is when you make the decisions you're supposed to, God is never going to abandon you. He's never going to set you into a moment of your life and be like, all right, good luck and run away. Because I have a feeling that's what, this, the, what happened here is they sent Uriah to the front like, well, best of luck and ran back. Church, when we look at the decisions and the plans that he had, this one worked. Uriah died, but not just Uriah. It says other people of Israel died as well. Your decisions have consequences. Every single one. Every decision that you make has a consequence. But this is when it gets interesting. How many of you guys have a friend that they'll call you out on anything, right? How many of you guys have not a friend, but somebody that just sees you and calls you out on everything? That's what Nathan is. Nathan comes into our story, and at this point, David really thought he was done and over with it. He thought he got away with it, because after Uriah died, he played the, ah, oh, Bathsheba, you're, you're, you know, you're a widow, come live with me, I'll take care of you and I'll take care of your baby. Like, he really played up the, you know, I've got a big tender heart kind of thing and invited her in and all this stuff. And then Nathan shows up. And Nathan is that guy, he just likes to shake it up a little bit. And so Nathan came, and there was a confrontation. And he shared kind of a story with, with David. And it starts, and it says, two men lived across the street from one another. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man had everything a man could want, including flocks of sheep and cattle. The poor man only had one little lamb, and their family treated it like a pet. 
He kept it in the house. They played with it. They let it eat from a bowl in the kitchen and sleep at the foot of their bed. It's a pet, right? A, a, a cherished pet of their house. They said it was like one of the children. Well, one day, a rich man had a guest drop by. Well, when the guest drop by, you have to understand the rich man had all these resources. He could have killed any of the sheep, any of the cattle. And, but yet, he went and took the one sheep from the poor family and he killed it to serve it up. And halfway through the story, David stopped. He was, he was disgusted with what happened. He's like, who did this? That's, what I, that's playing dumb right there, right? Have you ever been uh, by your parents? You got, you got uh, confronted like, all right, so this, this, and happened. You're like, oh my gosh, who did that, right? I've done that way too many times. That's why that felt natural. Um, but I was, I was like, when, when I got in trouble, I'm like, I have no idea. Man, that person must have been not in the right mind. And in the back of my head, I'm like, oh my goodness, she's on to me, right? And so that's what David was. David was what we call in our house, he was busted. He, he was busted. Nathan saw exactly what he did. And so when he was talking about the story, and, and David's like, who did that? And Nathan's like, uh, you did. Called him out on it. Looked him straight in the face and like, uh, you did. And at this moment, David had another, another decision. He could have tried to get his way out of it. He could have tried to, to do things to distract Nathan from this, this whole thing that he, he thinks that happened. But instead, David had some, a moment in his life. He chose confession. He knew he was busted. He knew, he knew the cat was out of the bag. He knew he was in trouble. And instead of trying to make it better by making it worse, he confessed it. Church, there is power when you confess to God. Like I said earlier, it's like change just absolutely just fall off of you and you lose all this weight that you're carrying around. Could you imagine? Can you imagine the weight that David felt lift off of him when he confessed what he did? Luke 8, 17 says this. It says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. David knew he had to confess. But most importantly, David knew that he caused some unwanted consequences in the lives of the people around him. Number one is Uriah is now dead. Uriah was an honorable man that people loved. And now he's dead and can't be a father. He can't be a husband because of the jealousy and the lust that David fell into. So David knew that there was consequences. And the first one he felt was, I just am the cause of somebody else's death. And the second one, can you imagine the anxiety and grief he caused for Bathsheba? I get it. Bathsheba was in the wrong too. She made a poor decision too. She loved her husband. She knew that he was a good, good husband, and she knew that he was going to be a good father. And she lost him. Could you imagine the anxiety and the grief that she felt like we talked about the last two weeks? David calls that. David caused that, and he knew that, and he confessed it. What about this? What about the trouble for David? 
In Psalms 32, it says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of the summer. David started to have physical ailments, physical, uh, uh, physical issues because he was carrying this burden for so long. David said, my bones were breaking. My bones were tired. My bones were cracked and because I was carrying all this for so long. But this wasn't all the trouble that David experienced. They also lost a child. They lost a child because... Because I truly believe in this story. David, his decisions at the beginning, I feel like that he was never going to have any consequences. And then he goes through all this loss. Can you imagine the death of the child and the more anxiety and grief that is caused to him? Church, when we make bad decisions, there is consequences. Things going to happen. But... When we confess it, good things can happen. When we confess it, good things can start to happen. Now, when we read the scripture that we're going to read, it's a lot of scripture, but we're going to read through, and it's in Psalms 51, and this is the confession of David, okay? This is the confession of David in the entirety, so we're going to read it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from inequity, and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin as ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in inequity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit away from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And in 13, it says this, Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be Pleased with a burnt offering, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 18 says, do good to Zion in your pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem, then will you delight in your right sacrifices and burnt offerings, whole burnt offerings, then bowls will be offered to your altar. I know it's a lot of scripture, but we're going to unpack it real quick. David came to him and he said, I confess, I've made mistakes, I made a pretty big one. And to cover it up, I made another big one. And he confesses that what he did was wrong. Church, when we confess, we cannot leave a little bit of it back in that corner. Right? David confessed everything that he did. Well, a lot of times when we try to confess, a lot of times we'll get whatever's out in the front. Stuff that people see. Right? Stuff that people know that happened. 
But a lot of times we'll leave it back in the corner because we think that God can't see it. That is untrue. That is false. God can see it. Right? And so David, number one, starts to confess. After he confesses, he says, God, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Please, God, don't, don't uh, cast me away. God, I still want to be in your presence. So he confessed, but then he declared that he's still going to live for him. Still going to live for God. Still going to do the ministry. And then the third one, after he, he, he looked at what happened, he said, you know what? I am now going to bring people to you. So I'm going to use this sin. I'm going to use my story. And I'm going to bring people to your kingdom. So David's confession went to, I'm sorry I made a mistake. I'm still going to live for you. And I'm still going to do what you want me to do. Church, that is the way our confession needs to be. We need to put it out in front that we made a mistake. And then we need to put it out next that I am still going to live for you. I know there's consequences. I know th there's consequences in my decisions, but I'm still going to live for you. And the second one, my story, I'm going to share it. And I'm going to win people back to you. That is why confession is so good for your soul. It's because, have you guys ever... I'm a guy, so I try to take every bag out of the car after grocery shopping. My record is 22 and 19, all right? So when we got up and you walk into the house, it's when you drop them all. You're like, ah, right? That is what confession is. When, when you just pick it all up, like, I, I need to get it out now, right? I need to get it out. And as soon as you drop it, you can feel it. You can feel the weight off of you. That's what confession can do. In your life. Why is confession good for their soul? Number one, it leads us to repentance. It leads us to repentance. You cannot repent from something that you don't admit to. Right? You can't repent to something that you don't declare was a mistake. So we can lead to repentance. And the one thing about David that I do appreciate and I respect in this story is David did three things. I'm sorry, he didn't do three things. David did not blame Bathsheba. Never in Scripture did he blame it on Bathsheba. He never looked at her and said, well, if she wasn't where she was supposed to be, I wouldn't have sinned. Well, if she would have not done this or not looked that way, I wouldn't have sinned. David never blamed Bathsheba. Not once. Right? He never blamed Bathsheba for what was happening in their life. Number two, he never, ever blamed Uriah. Well, if Uriah was home, she wouldn't have been by herself. Well, if Uriah would have done this, it would have never happened. David never blamed Uriah. The last one is David never blamed his position. David was a king. Can you imagine the pressure that David had on his life? He never blamed, well, I had a really bad day at the kingdom today. I was so stressed. I said things I wasn't supposed to say. I did things I wasn't supposed to say. Church, we can really relate to that one. Right? When we have a bad day and we blame our attitude and the things we say and do on our bad day. But David didn't do any of that. He did something that we need to do as a whole. We need to take responsibility. That's the one thing that's driving me crazy about the younger generation is the lack of responsibility. Church, how do you think they're going to learn that from us? Right? If we take responsibility for our actions, our kids are going to see that 
We need to take responsibility for ours. So number one is because it leads to repentance. That's why confession is good. Number two is it leads to obedience. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says this, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. When we confess... We can now be obedient. It's the middle part of David's confession. When we confess, we can now use that, and we can use it in the way that God wants us to use it. We can be obedient. Church, you can't be obedient if you're living an active life in sin. There's no way. Because you're obedient to the sin that you're in. How can you be obedient to the God that you love? And that's the part I think we get really confused with is we feel that we can be obedient to both. There are so many questions, there's so many scriptures about serving two gods. There's so many questions, I mean, there's so many verses in the Bible telling us that you need to make your yeses yes and your noes noes. And that's why confession leads to obedience. The third one is this when we confess, Church, it brings, it brings forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It brings forgiveness. Forgiveness is the one thing that we demand, but it's also the one thing that we hold on to very tightly. You forgive me, I may forgive you. Right? You forgive me, I may forgive you. Well, when you confess, God's forgiveness is present in your life. Church David made an awful mistake. But just because he made an awful mistake does not mean that God walked away from him. There are so many people in my life that have made a lot of mistakes. And they believe because of their mistakes that God has walked away from them. That is not true. I have a young man in Michigan. He came to our church for a little while and he got wrapped up with the wrong people and was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he has been in the state penitentiary since. I went and saw him when he was there for only about six months. And he shared to me, he said, I am so sorry for what I did. I said, are you sorry for what you did or are you sorry you got caught? And he said, you're right. I'm sorry I got caught. I've never really confessed that it was wrong. And in that jail cell, he confessed. He was forgiven. And now, 14 years later, he is, he is still leading the Bible study at the state penitentiary in Michigan. Because he saw the power of confession. Church, if we're going to get over whatever we need to get over, you need to confess that it's even there. You need to admit that it's even there. Confession is good for the soul. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today. God, we thank you. God, that you love us so much. God, that you're willing to listen. You're willing to see what we've been through. And God, you're willing to love us unconditionally. God, I know a lot of times we're tempted. God, I know a lot of times we're tempted to make a decision that we feel will only affect us. 
Maybe we don't think about the other people that it impacts. Maybe we don't think about uh, the lasting repercussions from it. But God, this is where we need to come to you and confess what we did. God, I believe that obedience can come from confession. God, I believe that purpose can come from confession. God, as we lift this moment to you, God, I pray that we can search our hearts. Every corner, every crack, Lord, we just search it. Maybe there's something that we need to confess so we can move on to obedience. God, that's my prayer today. In your glorious name, amen. As we come into this moment, if that's you and maybe you're struggling with a confession to God about something, search your heart. See what God's going to do through you as soon as you get that confession off your chest, out of your, out of your heart. Because that's the one thing I love about God the most is he does not keep score. He tells you he forgives you, he forgives you. It's not going to come back up in a later conversation. He will forgive you. But it starts with confession. Let's stand, church.